0: Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. The scripture reading for this Sunday is Exodus 23, verses 10 through 13. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among you, your people, may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. This is the word of the Lord. So um, I remember the advice given long ago to me is whenever you begin a sermon, make sure it's really interesting or else you're going to lose people immediately. So I would like to begin by talking about birds. Um, So in Michigan, a certain part of Michigan, there's this really beloved bird called the Kirtland Warbler. Try to say that with me. Kirtland Warbler. What an awful name. So this is a yellow-bellied, Kirtland warbler. They loved those birds in a certain part of Michigan, and they started going extinct. Meanwhile, there is this other bird called the cowbird, which they did not like as much, that was starting to flourish, and they did not know what was going on. After a while, they began to realize that these cowbirds were really cunning. They were really, really smart. These mother cowbirds would take their eggs and drop them in nests of Kirtland warblers. And scatter their eggs around. And what would happen is that these cowbirds were always louder. Always more needy. They're a little bit more tenacious. So anytime the mother bird would fly to her nest with you know, a worm or any other food. It would always go to the loudest voice. and would always nourish the cowbird. Without knowing that all of her own chicks were dying off in the midst of this practice. So, cool, great story, right? The reality is for our world, for our day and time, as we think about our life, we live in a really, really noisy world. Where all around us are voices that are incredibly loud, who are asking for our attention, asking for our nourishment, and these voices are demanding Meanwhile, there's a more quiet need deep within us. This is the need of our soul. And many of us, we come even to this place worn ragged. There's something within us that's going extinct. And that's health, that's vitality, that's living a soulful life. And I wonder if this morning, if we need to consider if we're feeding the wrong thing. The thing that we're feeding is actually not something that God put within us, but something we've adapted, something that's come in from the outside. Friends, we're talking about busyness this morning, and when we think about our life, it's, I don't have to make a case for the fact that we are overly busy, right? I don't have to like convince you of it, but I will do it anyways. Just think about this. So one, one of the things that's, for me, the most interesting is we live in a dramatically different world than just a couple generations before us. I heard an interview with this uh, farmer named Scott Chaskey, and uh, he was talking about the importance of farms. And he made this statement that just astonished me. He said, before World War II, um, he talked about how many people lived on farms. He said, around half of America lived or worked on farms. Half of America before World War II and now, do you know that stat? How many people are living or working on farms? A percent. Like one. (laughs) So think about the cultural change of when you live and work on a farm, your life is incredibly tied to the natural rhythms of creation you work when sun is up and you go and you stop working when sun is down your life is connected even to the seasons uh, that happen naturally in god's creation and we live in a really different world i mean through the through the urbanization through the industrial revolution technology revolution we live in a world that is always on for me, when I think about our world today, it's much like a casino. So think of the difference between a farm and a casino, right? So casinos are like this well-manufactured environment where like, there's fresh oxygen, there's no windows, right? There's constant visual and auditory like stimulation always going on always happening, and it's all crafted so that you stay at the table, you stay at the slot machine, and you keep plugging away. It's to disconnect you from any natural rhythm. It's this just well-manufactured environment. Friends, we live in a casino world, always lit, always happening, always busy. Do you sense it? Ding, 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 ding. Like, it's just, this is the world in which we live. And there's something that happens when we live in this world where we disconnect ourselves from something that we were, ex- were created to experience. Uh, in 2010, so this is out of date. I think it's probably a little bit worse now. But 2010, the American Psychiatric Association came out with a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is this. There's a, na- there's a national epidemic that's happening in our environment of chronic stress. That chronic stress is affecting a majority of Americans living in a place of stress and anxiety. And when they did their research, what is the number one cause of this stress? People were too busy. There's too many demands in their life. And I think we should kind of parse out this idea of busyness in two different in two different realms. One is busyness that people cannot control, like the single parent, the people living below poverty, poverty level, and they're, tr- they're working two jobs trying to find a-, a way to provide for their family. That's one type of busyness. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about another kind of busyness. Busyness of our own volition. Busyness of our own choosing whether or not we acknowledge it's a choice. It's still there. That's what we're talking about today. And you can see how this trickles down even in the the conversations we have with one another or questions we ask one another. Clint, it's great to see you today. What's, What's new? What's going on? What are you doing? What's the new project you're tackling? Oh, crazy busy. Oh, just running around frantic. Yeah, overwhelmed. Oh, me too. Oh, yeah, you have ulcers? Oh, me too. Haven't played with your kid in a week? Oh, no, me too. Life is great, is it not? It's like we we treat busyness like it's a virtue, like it's something to be praised. It's something like to aspire. Oh, you're busy? No, 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 I'm busy. Let me let you go, all right? I got some stuff to do. Um, We see how this affects so many things. Uh, Many of you just got back from spring break. There's a problem of vacation for us in our culture. Think about this. For many people, when they... They kind of dread vacation because they know they're going to have to take off like a week of work. So what do you do? Right before that, you like crank it up a notch and try to take care of everything so that you can actually take a week off, right? And you work so hard that on, right when you get into vacation, you're expired. You have nothing to offer. So sometimes I, I experience my own life on the first couple of day or two of vacation, I'm sick. Like I actually need to re, just re, re, recover myself. And then on the end of vacation, you're already thinking about what's waiting for you at home, how like your work is punishing you for taking a week off. So you're mentally already out of vacation, even though your feet might be in sand, your mind is like back in Austin, back in your office, imagining your to-do list waiting for you. So we never actually get to, to take off. Think about this other problem. What a rare feat in our day and age to give someone your undivided attention That's a new commodity, is to give someone your undivided attention. And how technology, social media, and everything that's supposedly connecting us with one another actually pulls us away. A friend of mine, Kevin, took his son on a camping trip, and they spent a couple days out in the wilderness to kind of get away with each other. And at the end, he was driving home, and he asked his son, what was your favorite part of our camping experience? Was it the rock climbing, campfires? Was it exploring, canoeing, fishing? And his son said these words, it just kind of broke Kevin. It's, his son said, when, uh, when your cell phone battery was dead, you couldn't recharge it. Oh. The son was just desperate for undivided attention. But we fall ourselves. we just fall prey to this idea of busyness. And it pulls us away from real relationships, significant friendships. Wayne Mueller said it like this. If we do not allow for rhythms of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. If we are not willing to walk into rest, our sickness will end up leading us there. Friends, this idea of busyness you might not think of as a spiritual problem, but it is deeply a spiritual problem because this is this is not how we were designed to be many of us know in creation that god created in 6 days on the 7th day god rested and said follow my example So we know that God intricately created this world. Like if the world was just a little bit closer to the sun, we wouldn't have life. And if it was tilted just a little bit more and didn't rotate the right way, there's no way that life could exist in this world. We see how God so intricately made everything and God had a design for it all. And it includes rest. And we go, what a novel idea. What a a selective option that we get to have to practice Sabbath and rest. The word Sabbath, we maybe toss around in some circles. The word Sabbath is a, uh, a word that actually means to rest or to stop. That The idea of Sabbath means just to stop, to shut things down, to have a day of rest. It is a day where we reconnect with the most important things in life. And God, who made this world with precise order, he says that you were created to stop. You were created to rest. And it's interesting to me, out of all the commandments, stopping is the hard one for us. Why is that the case? You know, for us as followers of Jesus, we're called to be people who are living a different way. And I think there might not be any practice that we could do that's more countercultural than Sabbath, than stopping, than resting, that that actually might be a marker for a different way of life. What we see here is we have these six days of work where we co labor with God in a day of rest. But what we saw in our scripture reading even earlier in Exodus was God wanted this to trickle into our life in even a more broad way. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard that bizarre passage in Exodus. I love weird passages, and that's a weird passage. We don't talk about this. I've never heard a sermon on it, maybe for a good reason. But, uh, but here, Exodus 23, 10 and 11, listen to this. Moses goes up on the mountain. He leaves the community, he goes up on the mountain to meet with God, and God tells him this there. For six years you're to sow your fields and harvest your crops, but during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed. Let it be unused. Uh, another version of the scripture let, says, let it lay fallow. Just let it be. Can you think about that? A year. A year. Every seven years, shut it down for a year and just let your land be. Rest for a year. When you hear that idea, how does that like, resonate with you? Like, every seven years, you just stop? Like, does that kind of like, oh, how good would that be? It's funny, that's my, that's my, like, oh, every seven years, a sabbatical year? Really? That sounds incredible. The reality is, if I can't do one day out of a week, what makes me think I can do a whole year, right? Like, how hard would that be? It's like, for some people who experience retirement, it, they, it leads them into, like, depression, why? Because people haven't practiced Sabbath and rest throughout their life. So we don't know how to do it. I imagine, so let me, let me just say it like this. What if you were told by God, not, you know, like the voice of God comes in your life and say, April, so in a couple weeks, I want you to shut down for a year. Just stop. How would that, how would that be for you, your mind and your soul? Okay, just stop working. Trust that I've provided enough for you in the six years that I'm going to get you through the seventh year and just shut it down. Oh, and by the way, people who don't follow Jesus, they get to keep working. They get to move further ahead in their careers. They get to accumulate more, but that's fine. They're, they're not following me. I, I just want you to stop for a year. And imagine also all people who follow Jesus stop the same year. I think within us, we hear like, I think that sounds awesome, but I think we'd really struggle with the idea of control, like releasing control, thinking that God's going to provide for us, allowing our competitive spirits as we see other people get further ahead in their careers, accumulate more, for us not to get, ugh, if only I could work a little bit. Can I take the tractor out just once a week? Can I just work a little bit? I think for us, this idea of having this Sabbath, practicing this rest, it's some, driving something out of us. It's driving something out of us. What this idea, this practice brings out in us actually is the gift of Sabbath. We actually see that there's a gift of Sabbath. So I want to just real quickly just think through what is the gift of Sabbath. First off, Sabbath is where we are re-selfed. I know that's not a word but it is today. So what happens when we practice Sabbath is we understand we are not what we do. So it's, there's something really important when it comes to our vocation, our jobs. Our jobs are not bad. Our jobs are actually really good. God created us to co-labor with God to make a difference in this world. But we are not what we do. We, our jobs don't define us. And in our culture, We believe they do. Our culture praises the fact that we are human doings, not human beings. I even experienced this uh, when I was playing with my daughter, Dylan, a a year ago. I was watching Thomas the Train. I'm going to lose half of you right now. That's fine. Thomas the Train. I was playing with Thomas the Train. We were watching the show Thomas the Train. And poor Thomas. If you know his little tagline, hi, I'm Thomas, and I'm a very blank. What's that? Useful. Useful engine. He goes around. Hi, I'm Thomas. I'm very. I'm a very useful engine. Like I'm like. What kind of communist propaganda is Thomas the train? He's a useful engine. I want to sit down. With Thomas, and go. Thomas, you're more than useful. You're a good friend. You're playful. It's just like this idea for me. I was like, oh, we're just all useful, like a cog in a machine. Is there something more to that? Tim Crider, he's a writer for the New York Times. He wrote an article called The Busy Trap. He's not a Christian as far as I know, but he puts a finger on this so well. Busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand, every hour of the day. With what he's saying is that like, we really use our busyness to kind of give us a self, self-reassurance that we do matter, that our production reassures us. And what was so critical is that this is the opposite of the gospel. This is totally God's way and that way are so different from one another. We are not valued by what we bring to the table in God's community. We are valued by the fact that God knows us, and has chosen to love us. That is why on the seventh day that we get to rest and we remember God's words said to us that you are so good. You're so good. I'm reminded when Jesus was baptized, before he did anything in public ministry, he was baptized and when he came out of the water, the heavens were opened up and the Holy Spirit Came on him, and the voice of God said to Jesus, This is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. Before he did anything public, this is my son whom I love. And for many of us, we really think that God loves us and values us by what we bring our productivity, our posture, our position in this world. When in, rea- in reality, we actually have to enact faith by resting in God's love, resting in it. On this day we are re Verse 12 in Exodus, this passage says that in Sabbath we do this so that we might be refreshed. This word refresh is really important. It can also be translated re That on the Sabbath we become ourselves again. We get life breathed into us again. That we remember who we are. When we stop, we remember who we are. See, we're in a busy world. Right? <laughs> so, in, in our rest, we experience this being reselled. The second thing that Sabbath does for us is Sabbath is a protest. I love this idea. Did you notice at the very end of the scripture reading? In verse 13, it takes like a left hand turn that's kind of unexpected in verse 13. It ends by saying this Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods, do not let them be heard on your lips. Sabbath is tied to idol worship, which is, I know this is kind of a stretch, it seems like, but it's there for a reason. In in our practice of Sabbath, we actually are protesting the worship of other things. The gods of this day and age are not some weird deity in heaven. The gods in this day and age are anything that calls for your servitude, anything that you serve, anything you put before God. So Tim Keller would describe idols like this. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. So, yes, production and business busyness can be an idol if it absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. If, if Sabbath is hard for you, it is pointing something within you and me, something that we actually need to protest. Because on Sabbath, we turn our attention to God again. We turn ourselves away from the things that call our, those loud cowbirds in our nest. We actually turn our heart and start listening to the more quiet voices, the voice of our soul who's needing nourishment. What happens is this is a gift because. Busyness, like all other idols, busyness is a really, really, really bad savior. It just doesn't save us well, and so God wants us to turn, wants us to protest. For the Hebrews, the Hebrew people, when they're hearing this word in Exodus. They, it's really important to know the context. They just left Egypt, and what was happening in Egypt? Well, they were slaves. They were people who had no rest because they were slaves. They were constantly being used for production. And so God here in Exodus is saying, all right, I want to reinstate you. Remember on the seventh day I rested and I called you to rest? As you go into this promised land, I want you to practice rest. I want you to learn how to stop because you've been slaves and you probably have forgotten how to stop. And for us, we've been freed too. We've been freed. We don't, we're not slaves to anything anymore, yet we live in a Pharaoh-oriented world, in an Egyptian-oriented world where we can constantly work, we constantly try to produce. And Sabbath is our protest. It's our protest movement against that world, that we don't belong to that world anymore. We've been freed and we get to rest if we want to. Isaiah 30, 15 says this. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance, which is turning, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. This was a word of warning that Isaiah was saying to the nation of Israel that might be saying to us is there's rest, there's salvation if you want it. If you're willing to turn to Sabbath, what we find with idols is they don't only affect us, but they affect our relationships. Do you know the population in America that chronic stress is exploding within? The people group within America that is experiencing stress more than any other, like growing group? Children. Children are being prescribed medicine to get through their stress, their busyness, in numbers that are just astounding. What are we modeling as a people? What The toxin we take in our soul, we actually pass along. We distribute to other people around us. A friend of ours, uh, the Langemeyers, um, we were talking at a, we had a parenting conference type thing with them a couple of years ago we were talking about the issue of busyness. They have five kids, so busyness is a real thing for them, five kids. And uh, we were talking about that, you know, because their kids are like athletics, they're like football, cheerleaders, they're like all over the place involved. And they said, well, every once in a while, and it feels like our life is going out of control, we just shut down everything. Everything. And we're like, so what do you mean? They're like, well, any extracurricular activity, we just pull out. We pull out of everything. I'm sorry, so like your kid's in football, like a football star. Yeah, not anymore. For a semester, we'll just shut it down. So, and you can tell the parents in this room are like, wait, wait, I'm sorry. So your kid's in band. Nope, not for that semester. We're a family. What about church? And you've, nope, no church events on evenings. Even that's, you know, we need a rest from that. And they spend every night. They cook together. They play games together. They read together. And they've been doing this for years where every once in a while it just gets out of control. <clears throat> Shut down the machine. And they just experience this. And now... Years and years later, the kids will come back and say, the greatest gift you ever gave us was you made us stop. That's the time they look back and they remember sweet times with their family. But why? Because they experienced knowing their, their father's laughter again, the sound of that. They experience family cooking together. Sabbath is our protest from the lure of believing that our power of production really can make a difference for us. And what's tragically hilarious in Exodus, when Moses was getting this word from the mountain, down at the base of the mountain, the people were waiting and waiting and waiting. And they got so tired of stopping and resting and waiting that what do they do? They just create a God. (laughs) Isn't that so sad and hilarious at the same time? Like, they just could not handle waiting for God, so they just made up their own God. They made this golden calf and started worshiping it. Isn't that just bizarre? But we do that too. In the midst of our stopping and waiting, we, what we will find is we are created to worship something. We are predisposed to worship something. The call to wait, the call to rest, the call to stop will show us what we worship. So we see that Sabbath is where we're re Sabbath is where we protest, but also, and finally, Sabbath is a place of mercy, The call to Sabbath year reorients ourself. In the idol of production where we churn out more and more and more, and we learn that life is what you make of it, what we see is that this will ultimately distort our relationships. Just like the Egyptians and Pharaoh saw this people group and exploited them for the use of their own production and their own ease, so we might be tempted to look at other people as means to our end. When we are soaked into busyness and production, we will look at other people as a means for them to produce what we want, especially the vulnerable, especially the outcast, especially as we see in this passage, the immigrant. We will see an opportunity for them to be used by us. And Sabbath reorients that. This is not the way with God. In the Sabbath year, not only do we stop, not only do we trust that God has given us six years and we get to rest in that, but we flip it upside down so that those people in need could feast on our land, that those people in need could look at God's provision in our place and be able to be fed by it. In the, uh, verse 11 But the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among you, among your people, may eat food from it. And the wild animals may eat what is left. When we stop, we begin to realize that God has given us margin to care for other people. When we stop, we actually get to see the needs of others and ask that God might help us care for them. You will notice if you read the Gospels carefully, Jesus loved to help people and do miracles on the Sabbath. Why? Because on this day, when we stop and rest, we get to be people of mercy. That this is the gift of Sabbath. So not only we do we want to point out the problem that we experience in our life and busyness, but we just want to give you some practical tools. So here are just a couple practical tools for you guys. Because many of us, we don't know what to do with Sabbath. It's just a bizarre idea. It makes us feel like a little bit like a cult, But, but this is a gift from God, and uh, we need to dis- rediscover how to practice Sabbath in our life. A couple ways from detoxing from Sabbath, uh, uh, detoxing from busyness, excuse me is we need to prioritize and schedule soulful rest, that if you want to be intentional about practicing resting and stopping, it's gonna take a lot of intention because this is not natural for many of us. And so, you might think, oh, I can't do it on Sunday, so I can't practice Sabbath. I don't think God really cares what day of the week that you practice Sabbath. God cares that you do it. And so, for some of you, it might mean Wednesday nights. We're gonna start there. That we're just gonna start learning how do we practice Sabbath. For us, my family, it's Fridays. We, we, kind of, we shut down everything. We start spending time together. And so for you, it just starts small. It might be one night a week as a family. You are together, and and, uh, you're experiencing that soulful rest. But you have to schedule it. The second thing that uh, people do is uh, allow mini Sabbaths. So um, for us, when we experience busyness, we actually can take a time out during our day. Within the Christian tradition, especially the monastic tradition, there is the practice of something called the daily office when people would take little timeouts throughout the day. So oftentimes, uh, in the morning, they would have a little time where they just pull away. They have a time of prayer and reflection. They would do it midday, and then they would do it at the evening. So there's just, you, can't, you can do five, 10 minutes, in the morning, midday, and evening, and practice many Sabbaths, many times of stopping. Read a psalm. Read the Proverbs that go, go with the day of the month. And in that way, Practice Sabbath. Spend some time in prayer. Take a walk. And in that way, you might be able to recharge. And then finally, another, another key to experiencing uh, a detox from busyness is shut down the machine. For us, we have a problem with the fact that so many of our devices call for our attention. And so I think for us, one of the things that's just very basic it just shut down the phone, turn off the alerts. A friend of mine calls it the moon phone. Put on your, the moon setting on your phone where it doesn't vie for your attention. You can go to it if you need it, but it, wasn't, it won't call for you. And in doing so, what we might begin to realize is that we, we, we have these smaller voices calling for our attention. Other voices that are not as demanding, sitting in the nest of our hearts and our minds, that we can actually let those Go, because we actually want to care for our soul. Friends, I think God wants to come to us in the midst of our busyness and says, God might want to say, stop, rest. Learn a new way of being so that your soul might be nurtured, so that you might be reselfed, You might discover yourself again and that you could be people of mercy.